Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Oh, what a great song that the choir led us in in on Pentecost Sunday. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. If you follow the church calendar, this is the Sunday where churches all across the world are remembering that God has been gracious to us and has given us his spirit. And so even as we're singing and praying, Holy Spirit, come alive in us, awaken us. What a great prayer to pray every day, but specifically on this Pentecost Sunday. You know, it was a a few weeks ago that I was celebrating my 41st birthday. I know I don't look a day over 40. Um, And I don't know about you, but I always take some time on my birthday to look back over the last year and to just spend some time reflecting. And so I made my pour over coffee early in the morning like I normally do. And I went into our backyard and I was just spending some time with the Lord thinking back over the last 12 months. And man, there were so many things that came rushing to my mind. The, the birds were sort of the soundtrack serenading me in an anthem of thanksgiving to just say, God, you've been so gracious. I've got a wife that I love dearly. I've got a family that I absolutely adore. I've got a job that most days I love. <laughs> and I just was caught up in Thanksgiving, and I recognized something and I, as I was sitting on my back deck area. I recognized that when God blesses, I praise. And God, you've been so good to me. But as I sat there and was drinking my coffee and reflecting, I had this realization, it hasn't all been good. There's been some really difficult times over the last 12 months. I mean, Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. Gosh, the Rockies traded Nolan Arenado. Come on. Uh, But on on a more serious note, on a more serious note, man, leadership during the COVID season has not been easy. I've identified a number of areas in my own life that God is challenging me to grow in which is a way of saying, as I was sitting on my back patio, I recognized some of my own shortcomings in a new and fresh way. I, just a few weeks ago, had a friend from high school pass away unexpectedly. I mean, it hasn't all been good and life very rarely is. So, so if we praise when we receive blessing, what do we do when we enter a season of hardship? How do we respond when things don't go our way? I mean, I think of Pastor Luke going over to Lebanon today to work with some of our partners there, and, and they haven't exactly had what they would say is just a season of blessing where everything's going their way, if that's how we define blessing. I think of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and Israel and in Palestine, and man, a war-torn country. What do they do? Uh, What do you do when the health diagnosis is grim or when it's difficult to pay the bills or when it just seems like you're stuck? What do we do when we enter a season 
of hardship. Well, that's what we're going to explore today. Will you open with me to the book of Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. And if you're new to the scriptures or don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, there's one in the seat back near you. And I would encourage you to get that out and to follow along with us. Acts chapter 16, Paul is in the midst of his second missionary journey. At the beginning of Acts chapter 16, we see that he meets Timothy, who becomes his protege. And he recruited him to carry the gospel with him. They are going into the region of Galatia. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, they give a great summary statement of all that's going on. Here's what they say. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And as somebody who loves progress, who loves to see that up and to the right, I'm going, verse 5 is my verse. I've got it tattooed on my back, right? Like, I love that. God is at work. God is on the move. And they continue to go forward. They move into Macedonia and then are led by the Spirit of God divinely to go into Philippi. And it's in Philippi that Paul and his traveling companions meet Lydia. She becomes the first convert in Philippi. She becomes a leader in the church there. And things were going so well. God was on the move. Then we pick up in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16. Are you there? Great. It says this. And as we were heading to the place of prayer. Now just a quick time out. As we're going to find out in a few moments, Philippi was a a Roman colony. They didn't have a synagogue in the city. Normally, Paul would go and meet in the synagogue and he would teach there and he would pray there. In Philippi, it's different. They actually have a place of prayer that's outside of the city and that's where they're going to pray. It says they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. In the Greek, it says that she had a a python spirit. After the Pythian serpent, who is said to have guarded the oracle at Delphi and was slain by Apollo, it it was a way of talking about a, a clairvoyant demonic spirit. She followed Paul, verse 17, and us. So Luke's writing first person here, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's like theme music whenever Paul enters a new room. She's there. These men are servants of the Most High God and they are telling you how to be saved. Now, question... Does the demon spirit have good theology? Yes, it does. It does. And you may ask, well, why in the world would this demon spirit announce truth to the people that are listening to it? Well, perhaps, one, one commentator suggested that perhaps there's an ulterior motive and it's to discredit the gospel by associating it in people's minds with the occult. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that even though it was true, Paul got quite tired of it. Verse 18. And she kept doing this for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, don't you love that? Paul's like, I can't go anywhere without this woman announcing salvation through Jesus. Come on, right? 
He turned to her and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now at this point, if I'm just reading the story from the very, for the very first time, I'm expecting that the people in Philippi are going to go, praise God. This woman is freed. Uh, she's been tormented by this demon. It is a good thing when people are freed from demonic oppression. Amen? Amen. Right? But listen to the way the story continued. Verse 19, it says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. See, when Paul exercised the spirit, he also exercised their ability to make money off of this girl. And when they brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. See, a Roman citizen was not allowed to practice any alien cult that wasn't sanctioned by the state. Now, they were willing to forgive that and overlook it until it started to affect the bottom line. Verse 22, so the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they'd inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm following through the book of Acts, that isn't necessarily what I expected to read. I mean, just 30,000 foot view. Here's what's happened in the last few movements in Acts. The disciples follow God's leading into Philippi. It's God who leads them there. They follow God and share his gospel boldly. Paul drives out a demon spirit and frees this young girl. And then they're thrown in jail. Don't you wish God worked a little bit more like an equation? You put in the right variables and it puts out the output that you're looking for. I mean, if you do the right things, then God comes through for you in the right way. I mean, if we follow Jesus and if we're obedient, aren't we supposed to experience life to the full? And yet Paul and Silas have done just that and they find themselves in a jail cell. See, but here's what you and I know. You and I know that life doesn't work like an equation, does it? We can often echo the psalmist in Psalm 73, verse 3, who said, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. (laughs) Not only do we see really, really bad things happen to some pretty good people, but we also see some really, really good things that happen to some bad people. Sometimes the equation just doesn't work does it? Yeah, sometimes life is hard and God seems absent. See, my guess is you've experienced that at some point in your life. 
It may have been in having to say goodbye to a spouse or a friend far too early. Maybe, maybe you tithed faithfully and you still lost your job during this COVID season. Maybe you've followed Jesus and you've prayed for a spouse and one hasn't come along. Maybe, maybe you raised your kids right and they wandered from the faith. I mean, sometimes the equation doesn't work, does it? So what do we do? When we've done everything right and we still find ourselves in the proverbial inner cell with the walls closing in on us, the lashes on our back, and our hands shackled, what do we do? See, here's what's normal. Normal is to shake our fist at God and say, God... Where are you? God, why? God, come on. I've done everything right. That's normal. You want to know what's not so new and not so normal? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway, okay? (laughs) About midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were, (laughs) say it with me, church, Praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. About midnight, they are praying and they are singing hymns to God. I mean, we don't get a lot of information. Like, what was their prayer? And what hymns were they singing? Certainly it was Amazing Grace, right? We're not... We're not sure exactly. And I think the reason we're not told is because we would turn it into an equation. Here's what happens. If you find yourself, the walls are closing in. Say this prayer and sing this song and then certainly God will move in power, right? We, we'd turn it into a master class that we would market online, right? Yeah, we're not exactly sure, but we do know this, that when Paul and Silas are thrown in jail, they don't shrink back, they fight back. But their fight is not in a clenching of their fists saying, let's go. Their fight looks a lot different. Their fight is in raising their voice in worship. And raising their voice in prayer. I mean, they begin to worship in the middle of jail. I want us to get that picture in our mind, friends, because I think the principle is the same for us. That when we feel beat down, when the tears are flowing, when life doesn't make sense, the way that you and I engage the battle for our soul is to raise our voice in worship. And we fight for freedom by raising our voice in worship. And worship is more than singing a song. It's an act of holy defiance. Because worship aligns us with the heart of God. It puts us in our rightful place and it puts us or puts him in his rightful place. And when we start to worship, we align our hearts with truth. And as Paul would say to the church at Corinth, he said, now where the spirit of the Lord is, or where the the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, what? Say it with me, church. Freedom. There is freedom. Freedom. When God shows up and when 
We worship, we know that he does. He brings with him freedom. So I want you to imagine this morning that worship is about far more than singing a song, singing a hymn, or saying a prayer. Worship is an act of warfare. In a home where we've raised two boys, we've seen a number of objects turned into weapons. We didn't see it coming, right? A stick, certainly. A pillow, maybe. A cucumber, really? I mean, we've seen a number of objects turned into weapons. But what I want you to imagine today is that Jesus is inviting us to turn what we're doing right here into a weapon to fight for the freedom and health and vitality of our souls. It was Oswald Chambers who said it like this, worshiping God is the greatest essential of spiritual fitness. <laughs> and when he's talking about worship, he's not just talking about what we do on Sundays at church, but the way that we live our lives in response to who God is and what he's done. In line with that, the psalmist would say, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And I read that this week and I thought, it is good. Well, who's it good for? It's good for me. It's good for us. It aligns with the way that God has designed us. See, every time we encounter pain, we have a choice. We can either raise our fist or we can raise a song. We can sit in protest or we can kneel in prayer. Now, my hope is that you're dialed in enough to be asking, well, Ryan, are you asking us to just bury our head in the sand when difficult things happen? Are you asking us to just ignore it? with trite Christian cliches. Hashtag blessed. Is that what you're asking, Ryan? And I just want to say, absolutely not. There's an entire book in our Bible entitled Lamentations. But but here's the thing, friends. Lament is actually an act of worship. Lament is bringing our brokenness to the throne of God, laying it at his feet and agreeing with him that the way that the world works right now is not the way that he designed it. That's what lament is. Lament is when we're in the jail cell, rather than pushing away from God, it's bringing all of our pain to him and laying it at his feet. And I started to look at this text and and, and I wanted to ask this question before we jump into what happens when we worship. I wanted to ask the question that precedes it, which is how in the world can people actually live this way? What has to be true of us if we're going to be people who respond in the dark night of the soul with raising our voice rather than clenching our fists? Two things. Number one. Uh, Paul and Silas have this conviction that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. And I do not mean that Paul and Silas believe that God was the one who threw them in jail or even that God 
necessarily wanted them to be there. What I mean is that they believed God could have stopped it and prevented it, but for his reasons, he didn't. That's what I mean. See, sovereignty doesn't mean that God causes everything. It means that God can do anything. At any point, God has never thought, I really wish I could do that, but I just can't. Can't figure out a way. God's never thought, wow, I'm really confused. No, 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 no. No, the psalmist says it like this. Our God is in the heavens. He does all. If you have your own Bible and you're open to Psalm 15, verse 3, circle that word all. He does all that pleases him. See, there's a comfort in the midst of chaos that swirls around us. God is never confused. He's never hurried. He's never caught off guard. He never wrings his hands in frustration. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So when things don't go our way, we can still trust God. So I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I know that your God is trustworthy. I know it. And as we think about God's sovereignty, we should also be reminded of his victory. That in so many ways, worship, even in the midst of suffering, raises us above the circumstances to remind our souls of what's true and what's real. That Jesus, the Messiah, has conquered sin and death and evil, and he has already given you victory by faith, and one day you will experience it fully. And worship allows us to rise above the circumstances and to see what's really true. I can remember uh, when my mom was really sick. And it was getting towards the end of her life. Our family was gathered in my parents' home and we had this impromptu worship service. I don't know if you remember this, Dad. We started to sing this song. 10,000 reasons. And we got to the last verse. It says this. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise, unending 10,000 years and forevermore. And it was this holy, sacred moment where it was unspoken, but we all looked around the circle and went, we're going to sing. We're going to sing. Because you've been victorious. See, worship requires that we see God as sovereign. But the other thing that it does, and I'm going to fly through this point, is, is it invites us, when we're in a season where it feels like the walls are closing in, it actually is an invitation, you guys. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus in intimacy and to know his love in ways that we would never know it if we were just walking the quote-unquote easy path. There's an invitation to love Jesus for who he is rather than for what he does when we're in the midst of suffering. And see, it allows us to really put into practice what we believe is true. And here's what we as followers of Jesus believe is true. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you're here today. But let me tell you what we believe is true. We believe that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for sin, which is death. 
He took it on the cross for us, buried it in the ground, and walked out of the ground with new life in his hands. We believe that God loved us so much, he died in our place on our behalf. And so when you and I walk through seasons of suffering, we may question God's plan, but we never have to question his heart. Because the cross stands as a lens for us to see everything that comes into our life. The death of a loved one doesn't nullify the cross. Cancer doesn't nullify the cross. Betrayal, abandonment, abuse, they don't nullify the cross. He loves us and we can be sure of it because he died for us. So that's the why. Why can we be people? Well, because God is sovereign and because he loves us. But number two, what happens? What happens when we start to worship? What happens? Verse 26. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's, everyone's bonds were unfastened. Oh my goodness. I, I want to be really careful and really clear. I believe that this is meant to be read as descriptive rather than prescriptive. Meaning, we're supposed to read it and go, that's what happened. Not, you know what? When you pray and when you worship, if you're in jail, (laughs) God's going to send an earthquake and the doors are going to fling wide open. (laughs) It's, prescript, it's descriptive rather than prescriptive. And yet, and yet, something in the spiritual and physical realm changes when we worship, friends. It does. It's not always an earthquake and freedom from prison. But the scriptures will teach us that God inhabits the praises of his people. Like literally, he makes his home in our praise. So when we praise, God shows up in a unique way. We might call it his manifest presence shows up in a unique way. So if God shows up when people praise, things change when God shows up. Amen? So when we praise, things change. See, worship releases God's power because it invites God's presence. And my guess is you've experienced this. You've experienced the way that worship changes places. And if you've ever traveled internationally and you've gone to a a city or a country or a region where there aren't a lot of followers of Jesus, my guess is you got off the plane and you could feel it. Anybody want to testify? Yeah. Or, or a little closer to home, maybe you've walked down the Las Vegas Strip and just sensed darkness. Yeah. Yeah, because when we worship God's power, it releases God's power because it invites his presence. And when we don't, there's an absence that we feel. That shouldn't surprise us as followers of Jesus and students of the scriptures. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and we love this passage around election time, but I would encourage you to read it throughout the year. 
If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. There's a spiritual reality that comes when we repent and when we pray. And I will, what? Say it with me, church. Heal their land. Something in the physical realm starts to change when God's people pray. When God's people worship. There's a reason that I come and I pray over this space before we gather. When God show up, God move, God work, do something for the glory of your name that we can't do by our own willpower. See friends, when you worship and when you pray, things change. If you want to change the climate in your family, worship. If you want to change the dynamic in your marriage, worship. If you want your home to be a place of peace, worship there. Because worship invites God's presence and it releases his power. Here's the second thing we see though, verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped time out. I just want to take a moment to appreciate his devotion to his work. I mean, I'm going, I wish that there were some followers of Jesus who took his call that seriously, right? I mean, what a challenge for us. He wakes up in the middle of the night, thinks he hasn't done his job, and immediately, because that was what they did in their culture, he's going to take his own life. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. What a picture. In the same way, the jailer's duty was to keep prisoners safe. And he was going to do his duty. He was going to follow through. Paul and Silas, as disciples of Jesus, had another mission. They had another calling. And they were just as faithful to their calling. Because they were called to love. So much so, that although they were free, they remained See, worship shapes us into people of love because it reorients our heart. Now, there's two ways that this takes place. The the first way is when you and I come to worship and we raise our prayer and our praise to God, we are dethroning the other idols in our heart. I, I hope you feel that. I hope you enter into it. When we're singing, we're not just going through the motions, Emmanuel Faith. We are going to war. We are saying back to our own heart, I believe that this is true. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, you are the king of it all. And we have to start to dethrone the things that we've put in place of God. And in our cultural moment, we have a number of idols that we cling to. We cling to sex. We cling to success. I mean, we even cling to safety. Think of the idol they had to lay down in order to stay in that jail. But the other thing that we do is we remind ourselves who we are. So we dethrone our idols and we remember our identity. 
a child of God. That's who I am. That's what's true of me. It's what's true of you. I'm reminded of uh, James Clear's excellent book called Atomic Habits. And he wants to help people make real true change in their life. And he says one of the ways you can go down the road of making genuine changes in your life is by thinking of yourself differently. He uses the example, he says, so if you're a a smoker and you want to stop smoking and somebody offers you a cigarette, instead of saying, no, I'm trying to stop smoking, just respond by saying, I'm not a smoker. Identity shift. So as followers of Jesus, this is what worship does for us. It reminds us, friends, that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our shortcoming, in the midst of all the I wish I would have, but I didn't, and I can't figure this out, in the midst of all of it, it reminds us who we really are. And who we are is children of the Most High God, redeemed by Him, loved by Him, known by Him, called by Him. That's who we are. And so the earth rumbled and the prison doors opened and Paul and Silas stayed. (laughs) Because worship shapes us into people of love. I wonder how it might reshape you. How does gathering to declare the glory of Jesus change the way that you live, the way that you interact with the people around you? Who might you love differently because you have declared that Jesus is Lord? One final movement in this passage that I'm going to point out. We can keep going. If you brought a snack, we will. uh, Verse 29. It says, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then they brought them out and said, sirs, what must we do to be saved? Quick time out. Don't you love how radical obedience to the way of Jesus opens the door to share who he is? And then they give what I would argue is one of the most succinct Summaries of the gospel in the entire New Testament. Here's what they say. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. It's as simple as that. Believe. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What a picture of the way that worship starts to change us in a way that rubs off on the people around us. I mean, I think back to what the Apostle Paul wrote at the end of Ephesians from a jail cell, and he asked, he sends his prayer requests to the church in Ephesus. And I'm struck by what his prayer request isn't. His prayer request isn't, we've got to get out of here. Pray that I'll be released. Listen to his prayer request. He says, and pray for me also that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
His prayer isn't for release. It's to relay the message. The good news would flow through him. And worship opens doors for evangelism because it amplifies our message. I love this. From the very beginning, it says that they were praying and they were singing hymns. They were worshiping and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 25. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's all sorts of debates in the Christian world about what should happen in the public worship gathering. Should it be evangelistic or should it be oriented towards believers and for discipleship? And I would say hogwash. You don't need to decide between those two. Here's the reality, Emmanuel Faith. When genuine believers genuinely worship, there is always an extension, an invitation given to those who don't know Christ. Sing with us. Join in the song of the redeemed. Join in the anthem of heaven. The song that will never end. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you. Sing with us. He is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We don't need to decide between discipleship and evangelism. No, 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 no. Worship opens doors for evangelism because it amplifies our message and it says to others, come on, let's join in. Sing along. Yeah, worship is so much more than singing. It's a fight. It's a battle for our soul. It was in the early 1940s that the U.S. government contacted Steinway and Sons, a piano company, and asked them to prototype a piano that they could drop to the troops that were fighting. Two years later, in 1942, they came back with a 455-pound piano a lot smaller than a normal-sized piano, but one that they were able to take and were able to drop, even at times behind enemy lines for our troops on the field to gather in evenings around a piano to sing. They called these victory verticals. We dropped about 2,500 of them, by the way. When one person was asked, why in the world would you do this? They said, music is an excellent way of keeping men from going insane in the horrors of war and from homesickness. He said, these pianos played an important role in providing soldiers with countless hours of diversion, education, entertainment, and worship. And I heard that story and thought, Somebody in here needs to drop a piano in the middle of their war. And instead of raising their fist, raise their hands and raise their voice to remember who Jesus is, to remember what he's done on our behalf. If you're, doubt, if you're, if you're struggling today, if you're doubting God's hand, raise amazing grace. If you're wrestling with his love, I would just invite you sing, uh, and can it be? If you're struggling to see his goodness, would you sing, oh, the goodness of God, surely his goodness is running after me. And if it's a tough season, I'd invite you, raise a hallelujah. 
And maybe you put a, a playlist on your phone and just call it fight songs. <laughs> go on a walk and God, it feels like the walls are closing in. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Yeah, see, friends, worship is our weapon. It's the way we go to battle for the health of our souls. Your soul needs it, and Jesus is worthy of it. I love the way, and I'll close with this, that John Newton put it in one of his great hymns, Begone Unbelief. He said this, Though dark be my way, since he is my guide, tis mine to obey, tis his to provide. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. So what if we became people who, when we were blessed, we praised? And what if we became people who, when life was hard, we praised? Even if it's through tears, and even if it's in lament, that we bring our song before our God. Let's pray. Father, what's, what's so normal for us is to be circumstantial Christians where when things go our way, we're blessed and we're grateful. And, but when life is hard, we tend to pull back. Father, I, I want to lift up my friends in this room today. God, that your spirit would stir in us something not so new and not so normal. God, that we would be people of praise even when we're in places of pain. God, that we would trust you enough to lift your name high even when it feels like we're being beat down. And and Jesus, that we would see you bring freedom to our souls as we align with you and who you are and what you've done, when we align with your way and your heart, would you bring freedom that you know our souls need? God, teach us to be people who utilize worship as a weapon to fight for the health and vitality of our souls and our families and our friendships. God, let us learn how to use worship as a weapon. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.